the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 289. I am Paul Spain. And I am Brendan Bowen. And I am Sean Dring. Well, welcome along. Great to have you both here. Um, Brendan, maybe you can fill listeners in. It's your first time in the show and they're probably wondering, who is this Brendan Bowen? Well, a few people might uh, know me. I have, I have two hats. I have two personas. By day, I am the communications manager at Microsoft New Zealand. By night, I am cartoonist Jim, otherwise known as Cartoons by Jim on Twitter or just Cartoons by Jim wherever. Yeah, cool. Mm. All right. Well, we're definitely going to dive in and have a chat about that a little bit later. I'm keen to to hear about your uh, your crowdfunding campaign that you've been uh, working on for your mm-hmm. new book. So we'll, we'll jump in on that. Sean, you've been you've been on the podcast many times. Oh, before. many times. Yes, um, yes. I'm a... And uh, well known technologist in New Zealand. That's right. Yeah, I have a couple of personas. At daytimes, I go by the name of Sean Dring, and at uh, nighttime, I go by the name of Sean Dring. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. welcome along, Sean Dring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know which yeah. one you're talking to today, so we'll find out. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, hopefully it doesn't get too too confusing for uh, Brendan, Jim, and I. Uh, but uh, it's nice to have the four of us on this, yeah. on the, uh, or the five of us on yeah, the show, five, how many yeah. there are. I'm, uh, I'm getting confused already. Um, well, let, let's let's start, Brendan. I'm, I am quite keen to uh, to hear about your your campaign. You've set something up on Pledge Me. Now, you've been cartooning for a long time, haven't you? This is sort of pretty much since, what, childhood days? Pretty much, yeah. When I was 13 years old, I had a, uh, I won a cartoon competition. in the. I lived in Australia in the Riverina, a little town called Henty, and they had a, it was an agricultural rural community, and there was a cartoon competition that was being run by the local lamb and beef organisation. So there was a, uh, it was like some pictures on a, piece of paper and I had to fill in the captions and, and the word bubbles and all that. Anyway, I got first place in that competition and so local paper was local boy wins prize, little article on that and they nice. told them while I was doing it, yeah, I'd, I actually do a cartoon strip of my own. They said, oh, we'll send us some, we'll, we'll print them. So then for the next two years, starting at age 13, I had a comic strip in a, in a local newspaper. That's fantastic. Which uh, broke me into what became a, a lifelong enthusiasm, passion and all that and I've been doing it ever since. Cool. And um, now you f- you focus on, um, you do a lot of a lot of tech, tech-oriented yeah. cartooning, right? Yeah. With cartoons by Jim. That's right. Well, actually, my whole life I've done cartoons on the sort of topics and things that I have interest in as, as, I, as I just go about my work and about my life. And I suppose the last 10 years have been notable for the fact that I started a job in public relations in 2005 and my first... Uh, some of my first clients were technology, right. um, but it was I think telecom was my um, first one. It was still back called then. And then over the years, I've done uh, PR for tech brands like Samsung, uh, Philips. I did for a long time. Uh, Huawei, I did for a while, and also uh, did some for Vodafone. I ended up uh, at Spark Digital uh, for a little while when it was called uh, Geni. And so through that whole career of doing public relations for uh, tech brands, my cartoonist brain has taken those topics and uh, tried to see the, uh, the lighter side of those sort of things. So now, um, being at Microsoft, I've been there for uh, about two and a half years. Quite a few uh, cartoons have been inspired by, by working there. So at the end of a decade, I was able to look back and... Well, actually, a friend of mine suggested, hey, you should do a book of all your tech cartoons. And I was like, 
that's a good thought and actually went back and looked at all the ones I'd done and actually came to about 100. There was about 100 in there, which I thought, oh, yeah, this is worthy for a book. And so it was like, yeah, that was going to be my, my next project. So, And that's what uh, the crowdfunding campaign is about. Uh, the book's called Sounds Like a Game Changer a soon-to-be-obsolete collection of technology cartoons by Jim. Love it. And that, uh, that phrase, sounds like a game-changer, is actually one that I heard almost every day in my career, uh, in, as a PR person. It was like every new bit of technology was described in this way. It's a game-changer. <laughs> yeah. It would be like, a paradigm shift. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, I mean, yes, absolutely, there are game-changing bits of technology that happen, but often it was used as a bit of a... We're just trying to sell this latest thing that we've got and all that. So there's, a, yeah, a bit of reflection on that and, um, yeah. That's quite cool. And I like that you're using uh, using technology to to get the book out, even though it's we've moved into a digital, digital world. So mm. you're obviously using those mechanisms generally to share your, share your cartoons. And I know they often get shared quite broadly on social media, like the one yeah. that you did uh, last week around the Microsoft LinkedIn acquisition. Yep, yep. Um, in fact, we might put that one up on the um, on NZ Tech Podcast website with your permission. No, yeah. And, yeah, so a lot of that's going to getting, getting shared through those those mechanisms where you know you can go viral and go out to quite a broad audience any, anywhere in the world. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But you've chosen to go with um, with a local site with uh, with Pledge Me. Yep. And um, how's that process been in terms of was it a lot of hoops to jump through? Was it uh, was it hard work to get that set up? Not or? really. No. It's um it's a fantastic site. I was really just amazed at how simple it was. It was basically a case of write to them, give them an explanation of uh, what the project is uh, they want to do. And then they review it and get back to you and say, yep, you're ready to go. And so it was as simple as that. Didn't need to be any meeting with anyone face-to-face. It was just all based around the, the submission form that I gave them. So, And they have been fantastic. Uh, shout out to Pledge Me here, just the um, support they've given, the f- feedback that comes through regularly from them. Did a couple of blog posts about, about the campaign, really supportive on social media as well. So, yeah, can't say enough good things about uh, what they do there. So, Oh, that's good. And mm. for anyone that is interested in uh, finding out a little bit more what's happening in that world of crowdfunding, um, on the New Zealand Business Podcast recently, we've had an episode where we've interviewed Anna Gunther, who is CEO uh, slash chief bubble blower. <laughs> um, at uh, at pledge me so uh, so that one's that one's well worth uh, worth the listen. I mean, we tend to have quite a few tech leaning interviews on the on the New Zealand business podcast. So that that's one that's well worth uh, well worth listening into. And then this week we've got we've got one with Auckland based crowdfunding platform uh, Snowball Effect. So um, yeah, so that one is also um, also well worth a, a listen on that front. Okay, that's cool. So um, run us through what, just a sort of a quick overview of what you're, uh, what you're hoping to get from the crowdfunding campaign, how much you're hoping to, uh, to raise in order to uh, publish your book. Right, well, it was really important to me to actually have a physical hard copy of a book. There's something, just having that tangible thing in your hand and being able to sit and flip through something. I mean, I, I really read a lot of web comics, a lot of things which I see come through uh, Twitter, and I just love that community that's there and sharing the, uh, the diff- different bits of art that, that people do. But there, for me, there's something really special about holding a printed book in one's hand and just seeing the colour cartoons on the page. To me, that's uh, it, uh, they're works of art, even though they would be considered low art by some. But And also part of the thread that is sort of running through the book is about 
Uh, there's a lot of cartoons in there just about the very human obsession with technology and how we can get a bit too fixated on all the, the technology around us and how it's, uh, there's a bit of a theme in there about, you know, stepping away from technology and just experiencing uh, uh, the real life offline. So, but also acknowledging just the uh, really important role that technology does play in, uh, in life. So that's, that's sort of the theme that's, that's running through the book. It looks at there's seven chapters in the book, which are cartoons all in uh, these particular areas, looking at innovation and devices and big data, technology at work, sustainability and the future. And so there's a, a sort of a going over the last 10 years, it's sort of when you start looking at it in that sort of se- sequence, you see a little bit of the uh, evolution of technology over that time. Yeah. Certain devices which we're obsessed about at some time, which are now obsolete, and so probably some of the technology that's in there now it will be almost be laughable in five years. Like, oh, people were using that bit of technology back then. Look what's happened since. So yeah, it's a, it's a real snapshot of the last decade of of technology in cartoon form. That's cool. And I'm just thinking of a, a presentation that I did did recently. I think did a keynote at a conference and sort of looking for content to put in there. Cartoons seem to be quite a natural way to kind of add a bit of fun to your presentation. Do you find that that happens with uh, with some of your stuff that it, it gets into people's presentations? And how does that work in terms of attribution and 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 so on? How comfortable are you with people taking your stuff and and dropping it in their presentations? <laughs> uh, well, I always appreciate if people uh, send me an email through my site and say, "Hey, there's this cartoon here. I'd love to use that for a presentation. Is that all right?" And I often say yes because it's um, people wanting to communicate an idea and it's really a great way to uh, introduce a topic and get people thinking about it in a little bit of a different way. That's cartoonist's job is to look at topics from a different angle and being able to laugh at something sort of breaks down the, the seriousness of it and lets you look at it in a, in a new sort of way. So some of the cartoons in the, the book, ones that I have done for Microsoft over the last couple of years and they approached me and said, we've got this story we need to announce. We've got some written pieces which on their own might be a little dull is there something we could have that sort of complements each one and so I did a series of six for them which was about this particular topic and that was really well received because people could look at something have a bit of a smile and then that leads them into the topic and can get to the the important details about it so yeah no that that happens a lot that's cool and I think it's great that you're able to bring something that you really love into your uh, day-to-day right Mm. All right, well, uh, let's jump into next item on our list is, well, actually, before we, before we jump in talking about some news around autonomous vehicles, I wanted to share my experience. Yesterday morning, I awoke, and it was quite dark, as it, as it tends to be early in the morning, and I was sort of thinking, eh, what's going on here? It's, it seems a bit too dark, and turned out I had a power cut, which actually, I don't, we don't seem to get power cuts so much these days, right? Yeah, yeah, With the, the recent very stormy activity, we've had a few in our place as well. Oh, you yeah. have? Okay. Yeah. So anyway, I can't remember when, when the last one was, probably just because I've got a short-term memory. <laughs> I remember the last yeah. one I was involved in. I was actually in the middle of a tattoo, believe it or not. Oh, oh really? Yeah, yeah. They hadn't even done all the black ink work and stuff like that, and there's just, it was in Balmoral, and the, everything just goes out, and the, the old needle thing stops and everything. So... Um, yeah, the, the tattooist was calling up the power company going, this guy's bleeding here, when are we going to have this sorted out? <laughs> to get out the hammer and chisel. Yeah, yeah we'd have to go yeah. old school, eh? So, yeah, I'm quite interested in what happens with power at the moment. <laughs> yeah, um, so I got this and I thought, well, 
what do I do? My, you know, everything's out, but obviously got mobile internet. So I just Googled power cut because I thought, well, let's just see what Google comes up with. And um, the top result was to a page on um, Vector's website, which for uh, for where I am is exactly the right the right result for it to be coming up with. So I clicked through on onto that, and it takes you to the um, to the Vector page, and I could see the map of uh, of Auckland. And right there in my neighbourhood was a big logo for the power outage and I clicked on it and gave me all the info. I'd been out since 3 o'clock in the morning or something and was due back on just after 7am, which I wasn't too pleased about because I needed to be out the door at about 10 to 7 to get to TV3 for a morning interview on uh, Paul Henry show. And conveniently, the power came on a little bit early and I was able to have a nicely ironed shirt um, yeah. organised before I went out the door and you know everything else was okay. But uh, I just thought it was, it was very good. And I mentioned it to one of the guys uh, here at the gorilla office and he said, oh, yeah, they've had an app for years and years. So I guess I just never, ever needed it. So I've loaded the app as well in case one of these things happen again. I'm hoping it doesn't. Yeah. Um, the app pretty much looks like the website. There's not a huge advantage of the app. The extra that was in the iOS version of the app is a little uh, flashlight option, which I thought was cute. But, of yeah. course, it's pretty it's pretty easy to get it, to get your uh, flashlight um, or your torch on your uh, on your phone without their, their app. But I, I oh, thought it was a, a nice touch. It's easy. It just saves a couple of clicks, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so um, so so yeah, it's it's all there. But, but uh, needless to say, we had some candles floating around, and mm. uh, we, we were all good. But the alert for that would be automatically generated, or is there another? Is there a person sitting at the end of that, typing something into the app to alert it? How does it? How does it work? Well, Do when know? I when I clicked on our particular outage, what it did was it had information about I think when it was when it was detected. And then it said, just think if I've got an example on it here, there's another one here. No, this is another outage. But it highlighted when the issue was detected, when the first person called in to alert them about it, and then there might have been one or two other things and through to a, an estimate of when it would be restored. Mm. So I thought it, you know, it was good, good, use of, yeah. good use of technology, very simple, very clear. It was very, very easy for me to find out exactly, you know, exactly what was going on and uh, an estimate for when it, when it would be sorted. I didn't yeah. have too much confidence because you, you don't know whether they're going to be quicker or, or slower than the, uh, the estimates, but in this case they were quicker and it was... Uh, it was helpful because I looked a, I looked a little bit sharper. Oh, there you go. Lucky you could find your phone then, wasn't it, in the dark? <laughs> I've got this, uh, a Sony Xperia, and it's a lovely phone, but it's very, very black. And I put, I've got all my tables and stuff are black as well. So the amount of times I've spent searching around for it. So I actually put up put on high-visibility stickers, but uh, I've taken them off. I'll have to put them back on again just in case. Just in case you get more power cuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So that's my, that's my power cut experience. Um, now, what I want, did want to talk about is autonomous vehicles and future vehicles because there, there, there have been a couple of uh, news stories over, over the week, weekend and so on. Uh, one is showing off the a concept car from BMW, and this one here is a sort of taste of of a futuristic driverless BMW. They're calling it the Vision Next 100, and it was first shown off at the uh, Geneva Motor Show uh, back in March. But it's been getting a bit of bit of coverage online and uh, 
there are a bunch of bunch of photos and some video footage and it just it just looks really cool to me looking at the video i, I shared i shared some pictures i think of this on uh, on twitter and somebody came back to me and said well why has it still got a steering column uh thing there what what's that about and but if you watch the video you'll see that the uh the steering column is basically able to completely collapse and go out of the way because it is an autonomous vehicle so you don't have to have that but if you do want to sort of race it around the place or yeah, enjoy you know the yeah. the um be the boss then you absolutely can as well so you've got kind of that uh that dual mode and so it's know. called uh that when you're driving it's called boost mode and when you're uh letting it do the driving it's called um let's have a look ease mode Ease mode. Ease okay. mode is for your emails and stuff like that. So. It, it, it look it does look very uh, very much like you're in an aeroplane sort of cockpit mm. in terms of what it's not a, a traditional full round wheel. Um, it, but it uh, yeah very very futuristic. I guess another thing that could break, of course. But yeah, I'm pretty convinced that this type of technology is going to be uh, going to be extremely popular in the not too distant future. I had to have a bit of a chuckle when I looked at an article about it because. Um, it says here that uh, if you uh, if you go with boost mode, a heads up display will show you the ideal route on the windshield, which are good as right, always good, good heads up display. Yeah, but it also will tell you and other notifications like oncoming vehicles. Oh yes, yeah, it's it, good to it, know. It just pops it up on the screen and up. lets yeah, you know. In case you weren't paying attention while <laughs> driving you, the car itself, because you itself. couldn't see them through your windscreen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's uh, yeah. If you if you thought you were in ease mode when you're actually uh, oh. <laughs> not, but it's nice to know that the computer, the, you know, the car will tell you that you're in. They're wrong, going the wrong way up. You're about to have a. You are about to have a. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So you would feel safe inside a a a car that's um, driving itself. I, I I would because I would I would I would imagine by the time they launch things on the market and of course we already have the likes of Tesla with their semi-autonomous modes and and you know Mercedes already have have a level of this sort of capability that you know by the time those things launch they're going to be they're going to be pretty safe and you know, I guess I look at the, the capabilities they have in terms of having eyes in the back of the head and all those mm. sorts of things that that I can't do and knowing how easily distracted i am by podcasts and you know other other uh, other such things as i'm uh, as i'm driving yeah i think they'll probably do um, do at least a good a job as i do and they'll probably obey the the road rules a little bit better too well it's kind of interesting because if you get pulled over you could say that the car was driving <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that'll hold too too, well, have a, have too much accident. water at least initially. Yeah, if you have an accident or something, eh? And uh, yeah, as if as he fishing you out of the river, you could go. Well, I don't know. The car just the car just did it. Well, lo- longer term, I imagine the laws would change in that direction, don't you? That the, oh, that the responsibility would have to move on to. Onto the, you know the the well actually can you put a responsibility well, on an innate object the like a vehicle? Can you imagine um, like in the states where of course they're very litigious? You know if you have if something goes wrong. I mean this is why it's taking so long for those cars to get out there because they need to have so many backup systems to to make sure that it that it happens. So it's uh, yeah. well I guess stage one would be similar to what we see in the US today, which is the autonomous vehicles. You have to have a driver sitting behind the wheel to mm. take action if if needed. But then there was that footage that was shown, and I don't know whether it was legitimate, but someone had up on, on YouTube a, a week or two back of, 
somebody asleep at the wheel and their Tesla yeah. going down the motorway. <laughs> so yeah, I think um, I think Brendan will be okay. What about you? You're not quite so sure yet. Well, you've seen know. too many windows crashes. Well, my 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 cartoonist <laughs> brain is just yeah. sort of cooking over all the, oh, the potentialities with this. I've, yeah. I'm feeling inspired actually. I'm going yeah, to do you have to put some this. in your book. You'll definitely but have to put some of that we'll, in your book because we'll that'll be yeah. stuff that will will date will date <laughs> amusingly yeah. well. And people might look back and say, "What the heck were we thinking?" But anyway, yeah. um, to me, it's like I don't know if you're at a, if you're at a party and you're you've had a few too many, you just hop in your car and set the button for home. That sounds great, but I don't know what what's the law going to apply there? Is it even even if you're a passenger in the car and you're not actually driving, do you still need to be? Under the limit, I think those things are going to be oh, yeah, um, that's, tested that's pretty right. uh, If there's an emergency and they, they yeah. basically decide to give you control of the car, if you're or a breakdown, what happens there? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, mm. it's, it's an interesting one. Mm. I'm kind of using it now because a couple of times I've jumped in the car and got there, and I've kind of like I can't never remember driving there. <laughs> either, but, either, you, but you actually were. It was that's a semi-autonomous mode. That's where your brain is automatically taking you there, but. The other half of your brain doesn't doesn't realise what happens and yeah, didn't yeah, remember any of it. Doesn't remember any of it, or <laughs> yeah, maybe I've discovered teleportation and I haven't quite figured it out yet. Yeah. Um, now the other curious thing around the, the this BMW uh, concept is that the wheels seem to mm. be all enclosed and to the point where the, the the coverage goes very very close to the ground. So you'd have to be somewhat cautious around the. Uh, the types of things that you go over, I suppose. It's a, it's a very curious design. I hadn't really seen anything quite like it that looked so unusual until I looked at that. And then when I jumped on to looking at the Rolls-Royce, that goes to kind of the next the next level of... Um, is weirdness the right word to describe how the uh, this Rolls-Royce look? It's, it's called the Rolls-Royce 103EX... And it's their Vision Next 100 concept. So there's there's some similar uh, wordings in there that's being being used. Is it just me, or does that look very Blade Runner? It does look quite Blade Runner in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, so um, but it definitely definitely yeah. looks very Rolls Royce as well, right? Very safe, yes. There's no there's no question when you look at the front grille and so on that it's, it's anything but that it, that it's Rolls Royce. Yeah. Well, that, that's the interesting thing because if you talk to tire manufacturers, they're coming up with different designs. The good you have the idea of a, a sphere as a tire, actually. And actually using a magnetic, um, using um, magnetic forces to hold the car off the tire, so the tire itself is a, a sphere, and that means that the car can obviously just pull up, and then basically do a ninety degree turn. So that, that's what they're kind of plugging is this is the new generation of tires. Um, so when everything's covered up, you don't really care what the tire is, well, what it what it looks like, or you know the actual um, design of it because it's it's always hidden. So, um, so they, they might be covering their bases there in relation to say, well, we don't know where tyres are going to go, so we'll just cover it for now mm. and see what happens. Yeah, well, I mean, it certainly looks much more sort of futury when you don't you don't see any uh, any traditional tyre as part of the um, part of the imagery. So, yeah, there's a couple of quite cool uh, YouTube videos there, and if we're as organised as I would like us to be, <laughs> we will have those um, up on the website along with along with the episode as well. Now, Sean, you mentioned something to me that I had I'd never heard of before. Oh, before we get actually before we get to that, somebody last week suggested to me the idea of autonomous <laughs> vehicle racing, vehicles racing around the track that are autonomous. And then I came across an article online to say actually this is going to be happening quite quite soon. There is um, 
they're moving towards a sort of an exhibition race where um, autonomous vehicles are going to be racing around a track. I, I think it's a, at first when I first heard it, I thought, well, that's going to be really boring, you know, watch them going around and, and stuff like that. But from a, from a research perspective, it's actually quite a good thing because when somebody's racing or, you know, they're, they're racing, there's actually a lot of, A, physics going on that you need to be aware of, like the environment is changing quite considerably. But also when you think about it, when they're racing against other vehicles, other vehicles have their strengths and weaknesses. So a car itself should actually be able to look at where another vehicle, or whether it's a motorbike or a car, whatever, and actually see on the circuit where its weak points are and actually take advantage of that. So that kind of folds in artificial intelligence in a way, an observation of you know, what else is around it. So uh, will the, I think the racing will be boring because there's no kind of human interaction, but from a, from a, a scientific perspective... You know, it's actually uh, it would be good, and like any kind of racing, that kind of technology basically filters down into the real world eventually. So, you know, the they're having the cars to have abilities of overtaking and understanding the dynamics of of all the other vehicles around it could actually be really really useful. I think car car people just love to race though, so I think oh, yeah. that would be an element. If, when I was a kid, having I have a friend who had one of those race tracks where you'd have to speed it round and sort of try and be I think there might be an element of that yeah, yeah. coming in some sort of uh, competitive racing thing well I must admit I mean I used to race motorbikes and stuff and it was very very good and it's it's, a, it's very personable when things when things don't go according to plan <laughs> it's, uh, it's yeah, an it can, interesting it can, it can impact you can't it Sean <laughs> yeah it, make, it makes it uh, makes it even more fun you know more exciting but uh, but if there's no if there's no investment and you know without without great risk there's no reward you know so if the bot is doing it all then it's kind of are you going to get the same level of feeling i mean the guy designed it and the guy is writing code is obviously going to be very happy but the you know i think the rest of us don't have a really have a uh, uh you know any skin in the game <laughs> i guess it, it's gonna it's gonna depend on and i take your point about skin but um you know i don't i don't think i mind seeing robots hurt themselves from time <laughs> to time and i know some of these are going to be very expensive uh, very expensive vehicles uh, you know, I think in the in these earlier days of it, it will be quite interesting because there be, could be quite a bit of variance, and I would imagine there would be a level of of control of of being able to maybe a level of remote control that maybe it's just limited to speed. So if mm. you're behind, what you can do is you can you know you've got a dial of scale of one to a hundred in terms of performance that you want out of this thing, mm. and uh, if your vehicle's behind, then then you push it, and of course once you get up past certain levels, the the, the smarts of it might not be able to fully fully keep up and well, that, you know a lot more crazy stuff could I mean uh, that's what a driver is, is doing all the time I mean they're looking at for instance in Formula One they have the curse system which gives them an extra bit of boost which helps them to get out instead of just slipstreaming and, and, and those kind of things so having the a, a machine of being able to figure out well okay I should use it in this particular case because they only have a certain amount of curse before they lose it right yeah yeah so there's a, there's it's a you know it's a and I guess you, you or you could have some sort of coach where you, you you know, you can you can you know you can speak to it and sort of say, "Hey, now's the time to do X, Y, Z," or you could just sit back and let it do its own stuff. But I, I think in the in the early days, this could be a lot of fun. We could see some stunning accidents that don't don't lead to loss of life. <laughs> uh, are visually pretty pretty exciting. 
as the technology gets better and better, it'll just bump up people's confidence in their in oh, their definitely. ability yeah. in what autonomous vehicles can can do and can achieve. Because I'm sure some of these things will go uh, go pretty quickly. Um, yeah, just having a look online. So if anyone that's interested in this, go to roborace.com, and this is tied in with a Formula E uh, championship um, come coming up. Uh, maybe it's next year. And, uh, yeah, there's also on there some of the stuff that's being shared on Twitter. There's quite a cool vehicle. There's one here. They're saying super brain of robo race cars is powered by NVIDIA Drive PX2. Crazy fast computer for a crazy fast car. It looks very cool and very futuristic. And uh, this is using, I guess, um, NVIDIA's autonomous driving uh, technology they've been working on for, uh, for for some time. And, yeah, I'm sure, it, yeah, there could be some quite interesting stuff if, en- if enough organisations decide to, uh, to to get involved. And um, the first time that they'll go on the track together could be uh, could be pretty spectacular. Well, I mean, it's, it's a perfect thing for, you know, for the manufacturers to get behind because at the end of the day, when you get into an autonomous vehicle, it's going to be branded a Ford or a BMW or whatever. So uh, if they're winning races, you know, what's that? What wins on Sunday sells on Monday, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. just a natural progression of that. So, uh, yeah, so some good stuff there. But um, now, Sean, you mentioned to me before we started that there's there's something Yamaha showed off last yeah, year. Yeah, so it's, about uh, it's a robot that they can basically throw on uh, their motorcycles. So basically they don't have to do anything to the motorbike. Uh, to actually put a robot on it and it can tear around a racetrack and and understand what's going on. It's, so is this some sort of Terminator-looking beast? Yeah, yeah, is, it, is it actually it, a, a, like human It's human-looking because it, it has to fit on the bike, so it, they've made it... Uh, Made it human looking, but uh, it's so called it can lean motor, into the, motorbot, I think. The okay, name motorbot, is. and it can lean into the curves and yeah. all, all that sort of stuff. Lean into the curves, and um, uh, it, it's bike technology has come a long way, like electronics are, are in there uh, in practically all of the superbikes now. So they have this thing called an inertial management unit, IMU. And basically, what it does is it basically tells the bike where it is in relation to its pitch and yaw and uh, and uh, other axes. And what it also does is it plugs into the ABS system and the traction control systems and all those kind of things. So it's a lot safer now to to uh, ride one of these superbikes because they can control themselves a little bit more. I mean, when they weigh 200 kilograms and they're over 200 horsepower, you know, and that's just a production bike. That's something you can go buy tomorrow if you wanted to. Yeah, You need help, you know, if, if you think that you don't. <laughs> Yeah, you're a d- delusional. So this particular uh, robot, the um, the motorbot, you know, just I think there'd be one or two listeners who'd just be curious. Can, can it carry a weapon? <laughs> Not yet, but it does know where you live. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we did watch the video earlier, and it it does look it looks it looks as though it could be quite scary. Oh, the, you, yeah, you, the last you, Terminator. You imagine movie, a sort of a you know a, a weaponized variant of that. You know, heading for you, um, yeah, would give you nightmares. Yeah, yeah, that would uh, certainly get your attention. Mm-hmm. Okay, looks like we've got a bunch of videos we need to uh, we need to put online uh, this week at the NZ Tech Podcast site. <laughs> All right, now on to uh, on to gadgets. Last Friday, or yeah, last Friday, PB Tech had a little bit of a product launch, which is a little bit weird because PB Tech are you know generally you know them as a as a retailer of gadgets, tech, tech type stuff, because they've got a bunch of retail stores. But they've picked up a distribution for a Chinese brand, Mizu, M E I Z U, but pronounced Mizu. 
and their first phone, which I've been having a little bit of a bit of a play around with, that they've that they've covered, I guess, since they've had this agreement, because I think they've been uh, they've been selling some of the Mizu phones for a little while. Uh, the first one that they're sort of officially launching here is the Mizu Three Note, and they launched this, I think, uh, end of end of last week, and. The curious thing about it is it looks like a really, really nice phone. It's got, um, a, you know, what seems to be a reasonable uh, camera. It's got a 5.5-inch screen, fingerprint reader. The base model's got two two gigs of RAM, which is um, not typical in a, in a low-end uh, Android device. And the second model has uh, three gigs of RAM. So the low-end one, I think, is... 16 uh, gigs worth of storage and then the uh, the higher end one is is 32 dual sim and you can also put in a memory card in there as well for expanding cool. it um if you've just got one one sim and i think it's one of those trays that you uh, you share by the looks of it mm. but yeah i was just really curious around that sort of uh, price point to to 299 it looks sort of specs that uh, if it were one of the bigger brands, you'd be expecting it to be fifty to a hundred percent more than that in terms of uh, price at at least, um, and three fifty nine for the um, the higher end uh, variant of it. Well, the the thing I, li- I had a quick look at it, and the thing I liked about it is it, it's running Android five point one, which is kind of good, but also um, not a lot of bloatware on it, not a lot of you know apps that come by the manufacturer that you can't uninstall, you know all that kind of stuff. It was very very uh, very simple. Yeah, and that was certainly one of the things that they that they called out is that they don't um, they don't load up the phone with um, with a with a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of stuff. Um, mm. Yeah, it's curious that it's five point one because in theory, being a new phone, you'd expect it probably to come with Android six, right? But um, I imagine two ninety nine. I imagine uh, yeah, for the you know that there there'd probably be um, updates and bits and pieces coming. I can't yeah, I can't remember whether they gave any. Uh, details around uh, around that at the um, at the launch but um, yeah it looks like quite a nice handset and I mean we're used to it really being the, the much more expensive phones that for instance have the the fingerprint reader type you know mm. technology in it but that was in there it could um, shoots about 30 if you hold down the um, if you go into the camera and you know hold your finger down it'll do 30 shots in a in a burst mode which is quite good the cam the camera's not not super high end but it's it's certainly pretty reasonable for uh, for that sort of price point so yeah i just thought that's one one well worth uh, well worth giving giving a mention because android is is incredibly popular here in in new zealand but there seems to have been a you know a bit of a a bit of a gap between i guess the the products that higher end and and the lower end in terms of prices to a, a reasonably big uh, big degree so okay so here are the here are the sort of the specs so I mentioned a five and a half inch uh, screen, so it's a it's a reasonable uh, reasonable size, uh, full HD. Um, oh, one of the other standout points is it's got um, a pretty big battery, forty one hundred milliamp hour battery, which is probably well, is maybe in the direction of twice your average battery size on a on a typical Android, and certainly a, a chunk more than than your your typical you know, most most newer smartphones. Thirteen megapixel uh, camera. What else didn't we mention? We mentioned the fingerprint reader. It's a MediaTek Helio octa-core uh, processor, and I think most of the other bits and pieces we've uh, we've mentioned already. But um, yeah, it looks it looks pretty interesting. What I'm curious about is 
how serious they are about uh, getting into the New Zealand market and what sort of market share that they can uh, they can pick up because Huawei have had to spend a lot of effort and a lot of money to really get their brand uh, known mm-hmm. and to bring a new brand in like this. Um, you know, I guess it will tend to sit sit on the edges a little bit, but probably for PB Tech that doesn't really matter too much for them because lots of people go and buy all sorts of stuff off them, parallel import and otherwise. And you know, if the features are good and the pricing's good, people yeah. will buy it, right? Yeah, no, uh, PB guys aren't aren't, uh, aren't stupid people. They'll be, you know, they'll they would have looked at the numbers and seen that they can do it. I think it's a great it's a great looking phone for two ninety nine. It's pretty hard to go wrong, isn't it? Looks nice. Looks nice. All right, now on to uh, on to other topics. Now, Big Pipe, who are an internet provider that is launched out of um, Spark uh, Spark Ventures, they're called, isn't it? Um, so a little sort of startup within uh, within Spark. They sent me a link to a new service that they're. Um, I think they're about to launch. I'm not sure if they've launched it just yet but they're they're offering something through their app that will basically let you prioritize your your traffic through your internet connection so particularly if you're on a slower internet connection let's say you're on a on a standard dsl connection you don't have too much bandwidth then you can you know prioritize certain uh, certain information over that over that link so you might say well let's Let's slow down our downloads of X, Y, Z, but let's make sure when we're doing a, a voice over internet call that that stays clear or a Skype call stays clear or when we're streaming a bit of video from Netflix that uh, that, that, that stuff runs reasonably well. So, yeah, I just thought that was worth mentioning because it's, uh, it's a new thing. I don't think we've seen any other internet providers do, uh, do anything uh, similar. Probably not so relevant if you're on a... Uh, a really super fast connection because it becomes uh, you know you, you've got a lot more bandwidth to play with and you don't get uh, you don't get troubled so much with those sorts of challenges. But if you're uh, if you're in a location that doesn't get great internet, I would think this could be uh, could be rather handy. I mean the technology's been around for a while. It, you know basically you, they call it packet filtering and um, quality of service type solutions and stuff. So, but that's traditionally been in, a, in an enterprise type environment where you can configure that up and you have all these high end um, routers, etc. So, bringing that down and offering that as something that a consumer could potentially configure up or work with, and very easily through their through their app, not just not that you have to go into your router and fiddle around exactly. with you know yeah. all sorts of technical stuff. I think you know their idea is to make it. I mean, big pipe probably target the more tech tech savvy uh, users, mm. and so you know, hence I guess why they're why they're taking this sort of approach. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense to kind of filter that down to to those you know more experienced users. I think it's a it's a good idea. Something useful to you, Brendan, or have you got a reasonably fast connection at home? Got a fast connection now. We uh, upgraded to the ultra fast broadband not long ago, and it's uh, it's been interesting. Some uh, sometimes it works fast, sometimes it doesn't. So I'm actually still in my own mind thinking, is this is this as good as I had before? I don't know. It's um, yeah. So I'm still <laughs> still working out whether it's uh, it's really. You know everything it, it's supposed to be. Just right, like, and are you using it mostly on on Wi-Fi, or are you you got cabled connections? Uh, no, we're using it on Wi-Fi. Right, uh, my son loves it for his gaming. Yeah, um, we like it for Netflix. But yeah, it has it seemed to be a little bit intermittent. So interesting. Anyway, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So we've only had about a couple of months. So right, I'm still right. really yeah. yeah getting used to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely think 
that we do see a lot of variants where, particularly with Wi-Fi, where you've got that, that variance of the local network that can maybe limit limit your connection. But, uh, yeah, worth looking into it if you're not getting good good results. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, cool. All right. Now, another, uh, another topic that came up, this was over the weekend, actually. Somebody, uh, I came, came across an article in, in some Australian media which shared some or highlighted market share figures for Netflix versus its competitors in Australia. And so it was comparing Netflix with the two main competing services there, which are Stan and Presto. Uh, I think QuickFlix is probably still, maybe still alive in the Australian market. They're still alive here. Um, but I know, the, you know their market share hasn't been so strong and they're not dedicated to subscription video on demand because they also let you uh, rent new content. So there's a sort of a, a mixed service. But for the pure subscription video on demand services, this was in adnews.com.au. And so it was highlighting the... Um, the number of users, so they were highlighting that there were five, just under 5 million users of Netflix compared to 891,000 of Stan and 353,000 of Presto. Uh, so a pretty dramatic difference between Netflix and its, uh, and its first competitor over there. Is this unexpected, Sean, or do you think Netflix, just because of its global clout and a big product catalogue, you just expect them to do this in every market? I mean, yeah, it's I mean, a, it's, it's, it's a, a bit of a surprise to me that they would be so massively Well, that's successful. the thing. I mean, they've, they've basically become part of the lexicon, you know, the old Netflix and chill. You know, it's, it's become the, the brand that is associated with delivering that kind of content. So everybody go, knows about it. It's a safe bet. So It's got, yeah. I guess, that sort of McDonald's-type factor where it's just, it's just well, it's well-known, massive brand awareness yep. compared to a local player that is having to create that awareness and, and really push hard to, um, to get known. And, of course, probably always seen in some ways, is playing second fiddle to uh, to Netflix because they're the big boy. Well, definitely, yeah. I mean, they're the market leader and, and therefore they, they get those kind of things. So they are top of mind in, in conversations and stuff like that as well. So why would they be? Yeah, I'd, I mean, first let me say there's a cartoon in the book about Netflix, so <laughs> you can look forward to that. But also, um, definitely content is king, and I think people will find that, okay, where do I get Orange is the New Black? And that's where, where it's on Netflix, so that's where they go to. Where You've been binge watching house? that, haven't you? I have. Yes. Look, it was it was. Um, what did you do with your weekend? <laughs> <laughs> it was good because I could watch it, and I did work while I watched it. So did the ironing and did all those sort of things. So fantastic. But um, you know, if, if to me, it's like I think Netflix has done a really smart thing in having great programs to watch, mm. so that that pulls people in. So I think that's the that's going to be the driving factor for everything going forward. I mean, you imagine. If, Game of Thrones was um, a full season on Netflix or something. I think um, HBO still has that. People have got that appointment viewing every week where they where they watch it and they crowd around it. But if they could get every episode in one hit, I'm sure they'd uh, they'd consume it in one big one big gulp like that. So I, th- I think that's going to keep driving it forward. And it's encouraging because I mean these are great shows, you know. <laughs> so you just want to keep watching. So you want to keep consuming um, the service. So I think that's it's a real it's a real good thing for the art of television that's um television just um keeps getting better so that'll be the format people want to consume it and that's where they'll go to get it well the thing um that i thought after seeing that i thought well what are our figures in new zealand and i thought, well 
nobody's told us what are our figures in New Zealand. So I thought, well, let's do a highly scientific poll online. So I jumped on Twitter, and this was uh, Sunday evening, I don't know, probably sometime around 5 or 5 o'clock. And so I put up a little poll there and asked people to to select what they, they use the most. And I just put in alphabetical order, Lightbox, Neon, Netflix, and Quickflix. And the results were were pretty consistent really for um for all of Sunday evening. Uh Lightbox clicked in around ten to eleven uh percent most of the time. Neon I think was sort of two to three percent at the at the at the most and then Netflix was pretty much the rest. They were high um high eighties in terms of their percentage. Sort of uh Looking at about eight to nine times the popularity of uh, of Lightbox, and then uh, Quickflix, it sort of bounced around between zero and one. I think occasionally up to uh, up to two percent. Um, but something curious happened on uh, on Monday morning, and and I think this is where the science or the unscientific uh, part of it came in from my guess because it just had been so so consistent on Sunday evening. Come Monday morning, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, somebody within Spark might have seen this because, uh, sorry, Monday, yeah, Monday morning. When I looked at it Monday morning, it had jumped from either 10 or 11% as it was when I went to sleep to 18% for Spark, uh, oh, sorry, for uh, Lightbox, which is a product of Spark. And as I watched throughout the day, that just kept going up and it ended up at, uh, at 28%. Now, there could be all sorts of other reasons for this. Yeah. But I, th- I thought it was uh, was curious. So um, so I'm not going to call my my poll entirely uh, scientific. But um, yeah, I guess the what this shows is that Netflix are absolutely killing it in the New Zealand market. Uh, Netflix, uh, Lightbox are, uh, are are next and and a fairly long way behind. Uh, Neon, who have uh, you know part of Sky and uh, merging shortly with Vodafone too, their their market share is is very much at the negligible end of the scale, as is Quickflix. So it's uh, it's pretty interesting, and I guess yeah, Lightbox is given away to every everyone who's using uh, using Spark for their uh, their home internet. So you would expect them to have a a uh, a reasonable market share but of course their apps aren't available on all the platforms that Netflix are and I guess that's one of Netflix's other sort of big big things is you know right from the moment they launched in New Zealand you could get their app on just about any any platform you could poke a stick at there was a way of getting Netflix whereas we're we're a reasonably long way down the track now with Lightbox and uh, yeah still still it's hard to uh, it's hard to actually get access to it without on all your devices so without jumping through a hoop or two so yeah, rather rather curious. Does that line up with the usage for you guys? Is is Netflix the main service that you would use for um, for video, or do you not pay for video? Or I'm still a bit old school. I still collect uh, Blu-rays, <laughs> and I st- I really like the experience of having something, having a library there, all my favourite things that I can go to and you know access the bonus content and all that sort of thing. I just like it. I, I, and the, and and the, the quality, quality the quality is pretty stunning, isn't it, for Blu-ray? Superb. Now we've got the 4K or yep. ultra um, ultra high-definition content that's starting to come through and the, the new ultra-high-definition uh, Blu-ray players, that that's going to really give you the top-end sort of results. So mm. there's certainly something nice about that. And the turnaround time for when 
something appears in cinemas, it's it's with, on Blu-ray within a, less than six months. So, you know, there's not that really long wait for this that sort of thing anymore. So I could, if I miss something in the cinema and I really did want to see it, I know, well, yeah, I can see it on Blu-ray it's soon. Be on so Blu-ray there's re- not this regardless. big gap between, oh, I can't actually get this thing soon at, at, at a quality that I want it, so... Mm. Anything to share on your habits, oh, Sean, do, or, or, or have you got you got nothing media. to be, or have you got nothing to be proud of? Oh, I'm just going to say, how about those All Blacks, eh? Kicking <laughs> the ball around. <laughs> well, that and and I guess that's that's one area where we are we are going to be limited for choice for for some time, as around the sports side of things, mm. and um, you know the 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 likes of Sky and uh, and so on. We're um, you know tying up some of those sorts of things, and and some of the some of the sports franchises are uh, internationally and starting to offer their content sort of directly. So there's a you know range of ways that we'll access these things going forward. Mm. Whether we'll actually be any better off in the pocket long term. Um, I think it's still pretty much uh, any any anyone's guess in terms of how these things will actually uh, actually pan out. Yeah, it's quite interesting. My experience with that is that I signed up for the World Superbike Video Pass oh, yeah. service, yeah. and that was all good. But believe it or not, New Zealand and Australia were the only regions where you couldn't actually watch the, watch the races live because of a agreement they had with Sky. Oh, really? That's, yeah. That's so, that, nasty. so you'd have to wait. I think you have to wait a week, and they'll hold, um, they'll have have the um, the races that you can watch up there. Um, yeah, for there. So it's a, it's a week of walking around, trying not to read any other motorcycle magazines or anything, and not getting this. You know, not getting who won. <laughs> oh, you know, that's nothing, a bit maddening. Surely. Oh, it's horrendous because you don't. Yeah. You know, you don't. You know, if you're passionate about it, you don't want to know who's winning, and then somebody will drop it in a conversation somewhere, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, just ru- ruin everything. Ruined it. Now, jumping jumping back to autonomous cars seems to be a topic we just keep sort of falling into. Uber have uh, have been trying out, and it's now been made public that they've got they've got a vehicle on the road now that's getting out out and about uh, in the US in uh, in Pittsburgh, and that's where um, that's where their advanced technologies uh, one of their advanced technology centers is they've got a uh, a ford fusion uh, hybrid that's got all this other technology plugged into it and they've been uh, testing putting putting that out onto the road not really too much of a surprise is it? i mean we all see that's where uber's going is you know uber will be how you'll get around in a in a in a vehicle in the future, that and other similar business models, and the way they bring the cost down is to take the driver out of the equation because the driver is the most expensive uh, expensive part of it. Mm. Although I wonder if they'll need to have some sort of human like user interface i suppose you hop in and you can actually talk can you talk to this vehicle and tell them where you want to go and all that it'd be a little bit impersonal i think i don't know whether it's a siri or a cortana or something like that or some familiar voice where you can actually get in and have a conversation with this thing maybe uber will become a personality of its own represented with a particular uh, tone of voice or something that would be I don't quite, know. that would be great from an artificial intelligence perspective because have you ever actually tried to deal with a drunk person when you're sober it's very very hard to understand what's going on so if they can manage well, to give you a direction. <laughs> I, I have to say, in, in, in my life, one of some of the most fascinating conversations you have are with, uh, with your taxi driver and they, they tell you where they come from and oh, all yeah. that. So I think, I don't know, I think it would be an essential part of the, of the journey to have that, uh, that conversation with someone, uh, with this being inside your Uber car, <laughs> I think, wouldn't you say? I, I, I work for Uber. I, I work for the small talk division. <laughs> what I design is little conversations that you can have with the car. <laughs> could be could well, be quite fascinating, or you could have 
have little podcasts where people that work for Uber tell their stories. Something that's, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's going to be scary. What are you going to watch while you? What are people going to do while they're sitting in these autonomous cars? They're going to do work. Are they going to oh, look oh, out yeah. the window? They're going to sleep. I, I don't know. I think we're, we're, busy, we're busy people, culture. Brendan. We're have, busy people. Have another drink. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think if it was a it was a voice like uh, that great Spike Jones movie Her, which is seen probably with uh, Joaquin Phoenix and that fantastic voice of Scarlett Johansson. If if she was if she was driving my car around, I think that would be, a, be cool. a, a good voice to have a conversation with. All right, we won't go too far down that track. We're running out of time, you see. That's um, convenient. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, now we hear um, Waze, which is is one of the apps that, that we use to guide us guide us around. Of course, Google Maps sort of being the most popular, but uh, Google bought Waze for it was about a billion uh, US, I think. Um, go, going back a little while was one of their uh, one of their acquisitions, and. Um, Waze have uh, confirmed that they've, they've come up with some technology that they're testing in uh, in Los Angeles at the moment that is going to help you avoid difficult intersections. So I guess we're just just seeing more and more of that sort of machine learning coming into play or artificial intelligence that will just, just try and make life that one little bit you know better and, and nicer for us. Well, so. that's the thing. If you've got an uh, autonomous vehicle, it's going to work out the fastest way to you, for you to get from A to B. So... You know, if there's intersections that they have, uncontrolled intersections that, that, like, like they have in the US mm. um, or any other kind of traffic diversion going on, then, of course, it's just going to it's just gonna use it, which yeah. is a great yeah. thing. Well, and it's nice to have those now. We don't have to wait for the autonomous vehicles to have that sort of stuff. Um, now, one, la- one last thing. Um, the Verge have published a story that there is a note claiming to be from a cryptocurrency hacker who says he's stolen $53 million um, in uh, cryptocurrency and that he's done it in a way that it is actually it is actually legal. He's saying what he's done is uh, is totally legit. This has come out a day after um, $53 million US million abruptly disappeared from an experimental cryptocurrency project. So yeah, this is this is quite fascinating. I mean, do we have the right laws and legal systems in place for uh, for this modern world of electronic currency? Are you, are you, are you, what do you think no about idea. this, Sean? I've got no idea. All I know is that what Kanye West is in debt for fifty three million dollars, and I I think that there's yeah, you wonder if there's some sort of tie tying yeah. the two things together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if Kanye starts turning up some new gear, we know where where the money's come from. Yeah, it's interesting. Please explain, the, isn't it? The, the the tech industry didn't and the Verge didn't jump onto this. So I think you might be onto something, Sean. <laughs> yeah, coincidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think not. We, we might need to tweet him. Yeah, get an um, investigation. Now I don't know whether this is actually a legitimate situation, but it's um yeah, it's rather. A, it's rather rather a curious one. So, well, that's us for this week. Um, thank, thanks, guys, for uh, for joining me. You're now, oh. um, Jim, uh, Brendan, yes. Jim, Brendan, <laughs> Jim. We're both here. Uh, uh, this is Jim. Hi, this is Brendan. Uh, um, so we're both here. We're, so for cartoons by Jim and for your crowdfunding campaign, for those that maybe want to you know get on board and support yep. the the book, order a order a signed copy, all that sort of stuff through your crowdfunding campaign. What do they do? All they do is go to www.pledgeme .co.nz and just do a search for Cartoons by Jim. It should be pretty easy to find there. Otherwise, go to my website, cartoonsbyjim.com, and it's right there on the front page. You'll be able to uh, link through and find it there. So, yeah, I'd really love to have people's support on it, and it's really going to be a great book. Cool, If I cool. say so myself. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it will be. Sean, what's the best way to uh, to track you you down these days? Oh, I suppose I'm on Facebook. I mean, my name's up there somewhere along the line. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah Facebook I, and LinkedIn. Is yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah, LinkedIn, yeah I, don't, yeah. I don't have an alias for that. 
that kind of stuff. And I've got a Twitter account too. Yeah. And I've got like five people following me, which I don't understand at all. Because you, you don't actually tweet, do you? No, no, I'm not yeah. that interesting. That's the problem. Uh, <laughs> I could really do something exciting. But no. I think you're probably more interesting in person, Sean, than your uh, non-existent tweets. Oh, I'll take that as a positive thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what's my Twitter handle? I think Loaded Question is the one that I got. So. Yep, yep. Yeah, so people could tweet, tweet you there. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with loaded it, questions, probably. Yeah, yeah, great. And okay. I'm on the uh, cartoons by Jim. Oh yes, on that's your, that's so, your yeah. Twitter as well. Yeah, yep. please yep. come and follow there. We'll that's be. good. That's good. Um, and you can track me down on Twitter uh, at Paul Spain. If you want to get in touch directly, you can feel free to email me Paul at Spain dot nz is the is the shortest email for me, and we can uh, we can take it from there. But always great to get uh, feedback and input on the uh, on the podcast suggestions on uh, on topics to cover. I know sometimes we don't squeeze in uh, everything that gets suggested, so apologies if we if we've missed something. But you can certainly email me on that address anytime or uh, or hit me up on Twitter. So thank you everyone for for listening in and we will catch you again next week. Okay, see ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT.